would to the book of Kings, First uh, Kings. We're going to look at Elisha, and uh, I want to just today, I, man, I mean, I, God was dealing with me for about two weeks with this, and I was just looking for the opportunity to finally be able to preach it, preach it here at the church, but um, in First Kings chapter 19, and we're going to look right at verse 19. Now, this is about the 9 B.C., um, all this is happening, the 9th century. Um, there is a, Israel has just gone off the page in rebellion against God. Some of you remember the name Ahab, and uh, Ahab and Jezebel, and they are totally into idolatry. They brought the whole nation of Israel. You know, the, the nations are split. Judah's in the south. And then you have the northern kingdom, which is all the rest, the other ten tribes. The south is, is, uh, is, um, is where Jerusalem and where Judah is. And then in the north, you've got all these other tribes. Well, Ahab and Jezebel are, the, are in charge up in the north. Now, Jehoshaphat comes along a little later, and he becomes the king in the south. So you might recognize that name. But Elijah, you, Elijah deals with Ahab. He confronts him. And uh, Elijah, you know, he comes in and just says, look, it isn't going to rain for three years, till, or it's not going to rain until, you, till, I, until God tells me that it's going to rain, and so it's not going to rain. And he leaves, and it's over three years, and there's no rain. And then he, Elijah deals with Ahab, deals with all of their false priests and all the things that are going on, and then the rain comes. And then Ahab dies, and Elijah runs away and he's up in this cave and he's crying out to God and God, this is where God speaks to him and tells him what the next phase of his ministry is going to be and uh, that he's supposed to go down and anoint a certain priest and a certain king and that he's supposed to go down and also anoint a replacement for himself. And I think that's really cool, you know, that he's like, God's revealed to him who I want you to put in. You know, one of the great things I think that that any man or woman of God can deal with in their life is to, I think it's one of the most powerful thing, is to think the most important thing I will do is name my replacement. Is lay hands on, is, is to prepare my replacement. Man, I think that is such a powerful, I mean, you live your whole life with purpose thinking that it's not just about me and what I could get, it's about what's next. And so God tells him, I want you to go down, I want you to, I want you to call Elisha, to the ministry. So he goes down, and that's where we come to verse uh, where we come to verse 19. And Elijah goes down, and so he departed from there where he was at in this cave. He found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was the he was with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said. Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose, and he followed Elijah, and he became his servant. Now, to me, as we look at this story, we see that Elisha is responding to the call that God has put before him. But there's a couple of things I think we have, to, we have to recognize from this. One is, is that Elisha is in a very wealthy family, okay? 
And the reason we know that is because they had 12 yoke of oxen, all right? Which means he had 24 ox, you know, a yoke is two. So, and he's with the 12th yoke, so that, right? He's with the 12th yoke. So they have 24 oxen, he's with the 12th yoke. And to do that, so, so you got to do a little math figuring here. But uh, as you study this out, you find out that one ox can plow one acre in one day. One ox. Now, that's just one, not two. So two oxen could do two acres, all right? But they get tired. You know, they're the tractor of the day. They're not using horses yet to pull. They, they had to make some changes in the harnesses and stuff to make that happen. But oxen are the tractor. They're the John Deere of the day. I mean, they're out there or international or whatever it is you drive, whatever kind of tractor you've got. They're the tractor of the day, okay? And so if one could pull for one acre, two could pull for two acres, okay? They can work, an oxen could work straight 15 days, and then it had to stop because then it was just at its limit, all right? So you could figure up that what if you just went by the, what the oxen could plow and what they could do with 12 yokes of oxen, that Elisha's family owned about 360 acres of farmland. Now, that may not seem like a lot today with our thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of farmland, okay? But what, what, we, what, we, what we know from that day is we're not talking about even pasture land that the animals could graze in. We're just talking about actual garden, you know, stuff they could till up, plant things in, harvest out. So that being said, Elisha, when he receives this call, he's out working in the field, but he comes from a very, very wealthy family, okay? So I, that's important for us to remember that as we look at what happens. As he receives that call, he is faced with the challenge that every person is faced with, and that is, what are they willing to commit to? The challenge of being committed. You know, as you think about Elisha, you, you realize that what he was doing, and if you've, most of us have never plowed behind a horse or a donkey or an ox, but you do realize that when you plow behind an ox, your view is the same every day. Right? I mean... You see what you see. And it's the same every day. It gets a little monotonous because you're doing the same thing day after day after day. And uh, I don't know about oxen because I've never had one, but I know that just with cattle, it's not always a very pleasant deal. And they don't let you know when they have to go to the bathroom. So they don't take potty breaks. They do but they don't tell you when they're taking one. Are you all here? So if you're at the backside, guess what? You're back where all the action's happening. And you got to deal with the smell. But as we look at this, we see that Elisha just walks in, and, and I just find this so incredible because he just walks in, throws, this, throws his mantle on Elisha, and Elisha right away recognizes and is ready to just go. He's ready to, to let it go. So I want to talk to you this morning about two principles of commitment that have to happen in our faith. Two principles of commitment. So if you're writing these down, here's the first one. You do not have to understand fully to obey immediately. 
you do not have to understand fully to obey immediately. You know, sometimes we want God to explain everything to us, but I'm going to tell you that God is intentionally vague with what he tells you. He is. He is intentionally vague. He does not tell you everything. He just says, do it, and then he'll tell you the rest later on. But see, if it, and, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One is, I think that, one, you're not in faith if you have all the answers, if you have everything figured out ahead of time. You know, when he... When he, um, when he planned on uh, developing Abraham as a nation, what did he tell Abraham to do? Get away from your people. And Abraham didn't say, well, what's going to happen next? No, he had to respond. When, God called, when Jesus called Peter, what did he say to him? Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, you know, to us in our, I mean, live that story, okay? Live that story for yourself. Whatever occupation you're involved in, your source of income, your livelihood, and all of a sudden God shows, Jesus shows up. And look, there was no indication here, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Peter knew Jesus was the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. How about Matthew, who walks away from the tax table, just leaves everything to follow after, uh, to follow after Christ? What about in the scripture where it talks about Moses? Go to the land that I'll show you. Well, how about you show me first, God, and then I'll go, right? You give me all the answers. I need some answers here. I need you to show me how this is all going to play out. Show me. See, I think God knows a little bit about us that if we knew everything and had all of the answers, we would do our best to screw it all up. We'd get in the way. We'd get too arrogant. We'd get too, we'd get crazy. I mean, look, with just a little bit of information, we can get a little crazy. What we have to realize is that what God is doing for you and I, when God is speaking to us in faith, he is not asking us to understand everything but he is asking us to obey him immediately. Obey him immediately. I love the quote. I forget it's a French author that said it, but he made the statement that you will never see distant lands unless you lose sight of the shore. And you cannot... Find new things, new adventures by keeping holding on to everything that we have, that where we are, and wanting to stay where we are. We have to be willing to step out. I like what Ken Blanchard, some of you all remember that name. Blanchard is the, he's the one-minute manager, right, book writer, uh, has a bunch of one-minute books. Um, he said this, there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in doing something, you do it only when it's convenient. Ouch. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. What a huge difference, huh? When we are interested, we're just like checking it out. If everything goes good, I'm in. But when we're committed, we're in no matter what. It's like we try to talk to couples when they get married, you know, and we go through marriage counseling that, look, it's going to get hard. It's going to get tough. You're two different people. 
Your in-laws are going to interfere. I know some of you, your in-laws are here, so don't say amen too loud. <laughs> or they're watching online. No, you're going to have money issues. Everybody does. You'll have kids issue, kid issues. You'll have sex issues. There'll be things that'll come up. But here's the thing. You can't just be interested in being married. You've got to be committed to being married. That means I'm sticking it out no matter what. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through what's going on. We may, you know, I'll just be very honest with you. Sharon and I have had some horrible, horrible arguments. Horrible. I mean, horrible. Not, not today. She, she left because her in, her, my in-laws are here, and she's got to go. I don't want you to think like, oh, well, she's not here. That's probably why. No. No, her, my in-law, my father-in-law is battling a tooth infection, so she had to go deal with that. But um, we've had horrible arguments. I mean, I've lost my temper. She's lost her temper. We both have said things that we should not have said to each other that I had to repent of, she had to repent of, but we're committed to each other, to work it out, to work things out between us. And uh, it hasn't, I mean, I've never been unfaithful to her. She's never been unfaithful to me. But there have been things that we definitely disagree on. And let me just tell you, I think we're all adults here. Makeup sex is not what everybody says it is. <laughs> I can't believe that preacher said that. I'm just letting you know, don't buy the TV nonsense, okay? That's not what everybody says. I find in our home that I tell Sharon I'm sorry, and three days later she forgives me. So, <laughs> listen to this out of Ecclesiastes 11.4. He who observes the wind and waits for all conditions to be favorable will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. See, what, what we have to recognize from the story of Elisha is, is that Elisha didn't know what was next. He didn't know what the next thing was. All he knew was is that he was being called. Being called. See, what's God calling you to do? So well, I don't know, you're scaring me. Am I going to become a missionary? Is, I don't know, maybe. But is God calling you to serve in his house? Absolutely. Because, you know, see, it's not, we're not attenders in church. We're not about attending church. We're about serving. You know, the whole idea is, you know, the word that we use for worship and in the, in the New Testament is, for the, is the Greek word liturgio. Liturgio, we get our word liturgy. The word liturgy means the work of the people. Church is about us serving, serving one another, serving the community, serving. That's what, that's what look, it's not about coming together and singing. It's not about coming together and just hear good preaching. That's the traditional model we've fallen into. But it's really about us bringing our talent and our abilities, our time before God, and that we are honoring God with what we are capable of doing. Now, not everybody's called to work in children's ministry. Not everybody's called to greet at the door. Not everybody's called to be an usher. Not everybody's called to be in the worship team. Not everybody can carry a note. Not everybody can do all those different things. But there are things, now listen to me, that only you can do. And God is calling you to do it. 
Boy, you talk about God. You say, well, I, I need more information. See, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm interested, but I'm not going to commit to it until I get all the information. Well, I need to know more. I need to understand. Well, look, I, I get that. And we, we do, we have a really straightforward model for training and helping people. But it all starts with commitment, not with interest. God's throwing his mantle on you today. Here it comes. Now, Elisha could have started thinking, you know, man, my, my family needs me. It's, it's time to plow. Plowing time's a hard time of the season, man. That's a intense, especially, especially with oxen. I've got a lot of work to do. Um, then you go on the other side of it. I've got a comfortable house and bed to go back to. I've got a great life. All my meals are provided. Everything's taken care of. I got great wealth. And yet, at this moment in his life, without, any, without knowing anything, he just goes. He just makes the decision to go. All your miracles happen at the beginning with a decision that you're committed to. All your miracles happen at the beginning with a decision that you're committed to. You do not have to understand fully to obey immediately. I remember when Sharon and I, when we met, you know, some of you know our story. Thank you, sir. Know our story. I mean, we, look, I, I came to the, her little church and I had wanted to go there all through college, and I just never made it down there. And finally, I go while I'm in summer school. I'm finishing out my classes my senior year of college, and I've got to take two classes to get all my credits in, so I'm doing my classes, start those. And I go to church there, and I mean, I see this girl there, and I'm telling you, I am floored. I look at her. I can't stop looking at her. I start thinking about her. I start conniving how I can meet her, how I can, you know, who she is. I start asking questions, just trying to find out. And I went up and introduced myself to her, and, and uh, she basically put me off. I mean, she didn't, you know, she was nice, but, you know, she just wasn't, she wasn't interested or committed, okay? And, uh, but I didn't let go, man. I just, I felt like something there. Now, remember that as I'm doing this, I'm finishing college and I'm heading to the mission field August the 15th. So that's the plan. So this is in June. August the 15th, I'm going as a single young man on the mission field. And I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I got everything in place and I meet this girl and all of a sudden my whole world starts turning upside down. And I'm starting to, th I, you know, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, man, I'm, this girl, she's it. I, God, this is it. I, I, but she's not interested in me, and I don't know what to do, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going to pursue this. So I did. So June 27th, I made a commitment in my heart that I was going to pursue after Sharon. July the 4th, I proposed to her. Okay? We got married August the 8th. August the 8th. Now, look, we're not encouraging any of you teenagers to follow that path, all right? I'm just, I'm just telling you, that don't, like, your parents are starting to sweat, I can tell. But August the 8th, we were married. August the 15th, we left. Now, the week between the day, June 27th, my birthday, when I started believing God and started really pursuing after Sharon, to July the 4th, okay, 
stuff was God had to work on Sharon. And I remember, and to me there was nothing more beautiful that I ever saw in my life was the night, it was a Wednesday night church service, and Sharon said to a group of young people that we were with at the church, she says, could you guys come in this room with me for a minute? And, uh, and so we all went in there, and she says, I need, to make, I need to make a commitment before, I need to dedicate. You know, we come from the old school of ded- Christian dedication, and so we, we're in this room, and I mean, everybody's praying, and Sharon's standing there, and then she starts, and she starts crying. And, here, and she says, God, and I want you to get a picture of her life. God, I surrender everything I have to you. My house, my job. She worked at a bank. She had a great job, great future there. I surrender my job. I surrender my house. She had her own place. I surrender my family, my parents. I surrender everything to Lord, do whatever it is that you want me to do. I give it all up. And I mean, she's just crying. And you know me, I'm kind of dense. I'm just standing there. I'm thinking, wow, she's really having a moment with God. And I'm not really thinking this might be, include me somehow in this, um, you know, because I'd have done something stupid. But it was in that moment that Sharon became committed. See, the mantle fell on her. And then she had to make a choice. It's, look, it's easy when we don't have anything to make choices because we got nothing to lose, right? When you get a house and a car, family, job, security, and then all of a sudden the mantle falls on you. See, it's just like here this morning. See, the mantle's trying to fall on some of you, and it's wanting to take you from being a chair sitter to involved in the church. But what happens is, is that we start thinking, well, this chair, I'm pretty comfortable here. This is, this is a lot easier. And when I get up on Sunday, I just get there and do, my, go to, do our worship and pastor ministers to us, the worship team, give my offering, and then I get to go home. But see, when you become committed to the work, oh, now we talk about another word that, that's old school, sacrifice. We start making sacrifices for the kingdom. We have to give up time and, and we have to give up energy and resources to, to do what needs to be done. And so we don't have to have all of the answers. Sharon had no idea whether I would propose or not. She had no idea where her life was going. But at that moment, she made a decision. And I'm going to tell you, in the sight of God, I don't know that there is anything more precious than someone that has totally surrendered themselves to God's work or whatever God has called them to do. Whether that's full-time ministry or just doing something uh, in the church makes no difference without all the answers. Here's the other thing. Not only do you not have to understand fully to obey immediately, but number two, those that God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. That hold on to the least. You know, in verse 21, he took the plow and burned it, fed his fed all the rest of the team. I mean, they had a big ox roast that day because he, because he surrendered everything that he had. And he was willing, he was basically saying that, look, I'm not going back to the plow. I got a different plow to grab hold of today. I got a different job to do in God's kingdom. I want to ask you a question this morning. 
Are you ready to step toward your destiny? Because for that to happen, you have to step away from your security and your comfort. Wait, Pastor. Now wait. Now wait. Can I have security and comfort and still reach my destiny? And the answer is no. You have security and comfort in knowing that God is with you. And you know the crazy thing about God, you just don't know. I mean, God doesn't always do things the way you think he should do things. Okay, Moses, I want you to go to a land. I tell you, okay, lead the people out. All right, God, I'll lead them out. Here's a million people following Moses out. Where do they end up? They're following God. They end up at the Red Sea. Now look, if, if Moses was his own map writer, that is not where he would have led himself to. But Moses, wasn't, you know, Moses wasn't derelict. He understood war. He understood that if we want to get out to where we need to go, we need to get an advantageous position. God put him in the most vulnerable, horrible situation, and God will do that. Because he's about to show you that he... Look, if you're in a very vulnerable, horrible situation right now, rejoice. Because you're about to see God do something miraculous. Say, well, I don't understand it. Yep, that's right. You don't. But that's okay. I remember Brother Copeland telling this, uh, this, or Jerry Savelle telling this story. You know, Jerry Savelle traveled with Kenneth Copeland, uh, still does to this day. They're doing this faith convention, man. It is absolutely powerful. Great things. Brother Copeland's preaching on faith. I mean, it's amazing. And miracles are happening. And, I mean, it's just phenomenal. So, Brother Copeland's his own pilot, and they have a small plane. And so they're at this high altitude, and, and very high altitude. And all of a sudden, the check engine light, I guess, or whatever's on planes. I don't know how that works, but... Lights are going off and things are not working right. And Brother Copeland says, Jerry, we're having engine failure. Okay? Now, he's doing pretty good at this point trusting Brother Copeland because he knows he's a trained pilot and they're trained to deal with stuff like this. And he was a commercial pilot. So he says, he says Jerry, we're having engine problems. And he flips a few switches and tries to do some, nothing changes. He said, Jerry, we're going to start losing pressure in the cabin I need you to grab, I only have one, grab the oxygen tank underneath your seat there and give it to me. I only have one mask. Well, Jerry Savelle now starts going through this whole process in his head. Hey, you're the great man of faith. You believe God to breathe in an atmosphere where there's no pressure. I'm, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what to do. And Brother Copeland said, Jerry, give it to me now before we lose pressure in the cabin. And Jerry's mad. I mean, he's starting to get angry, just like some of us do at God when we don't understand what God's trying to do. Brother Copeland puts the mask on and keeps working, and finally they get the, whatever was going on in the engine straightened out, takes the mask off, flies the rest away. Jerry says nothing. Has nothing. He's mad. He's mad when they get on the ground. And when they get on the ground, Brother Copeland doesn't say anything to him. Brother Copeland opens the door and falls out of the plane, and he's laying on the ground laughing. Jerry said, you know, that's not funny. He said, Jerry, let me, let me explain something to you. I know that you think I was trying to kill you up there. He said, but let me ask you a question. Who's it more important that has the oxygen, the guy flying the plane or the guy sitting in the plane? Jerry said, oh, 
Yeah. Now look, you can get mad at God all you want, but God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. What he's looking for from us is a commitment. And a commitment that has a no-holds-barred attitude to it that God, look, I trust you. I believe you know what you're doing. To step toward your destiny, we have to step away from security. We have to step away from what is comfortable to us. Jesus replied to the men that were with him and said, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's tough. That's really tough. Contrast the guy that you're very familiar with, the rich man, which many believe was Lazarus. When Jesus, he knows the law, he says to Jesus, he said, I do the law. I'm doing what you require. I'm doing what God requires. And Jesus said, you just have one more thing you have to do. Just sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Now, you know, the, the real part of that story is, obviously, Lazarus or whoever this rich man was doesn't understand the laws of seed time and harvest. Because if he sold everything he had and gave it to the poor, the Bible said that he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord, the Lord will repay him. So you can't lose by doing that. But what he did is saw it as a loss. See, what you and I, we think in our natural mind, that's why that's that circumstance, that, well, if I lose, then I, I don't gain. But the truth is, is that whatever you give up for the kingdom, Mark chapter 10 tells you this flat out in 29 and 30. Jesus said, look, whoever gives up anything for the sake of the kingdom, for, for my work to follow after me, to do what I've asked them to do, he'll reap a hundredfold now in this time. What's a hundredfold? Hundredfold in time, hundredfold in finances, hundredfold in strength and energy, if we do it for the right reason. So see, when Jesus says to these men, he says, look guys, nobody puts his hand to the plow, is fit for the kingdom. Well, what he's trying to say is stop looking back. There's nothing there. There's nothing there that you, that's going to be, that's better than what I have to offer you that's up in front of you. Wish I could get a good amen. God never intended for his followers to play it safe. Or can I say it like this? You were not meant to stare at ox rear ends the rest of your life. Amen. So we talk about leveling up, moving our faith forward, okay? To move our faith forward, we have to be committed to something greater than where we are right now. We have to be committed, whether we're young or we're old, we have to be committed to something greater in our life, something greater, something greater whether it's in service, something greater uh, whether it's uh, uh, helping others, however, whatever God's throwing his, it's not up to me to throw the mantle on you. It's just up to me to obey God. The mantle I'm throwing to you is the word of God this morning. What are you gonna do with that mantle on your life? What are you going to do with it? I think that in God's house, there are a lot of people, and when I say God's house, I don't mean just here, I mean online as well, that are surviving. They're, we're surviving. When we're surviving, we don't think about thriving. We really don't. We think about surviving. 
It's a proven fact if you do study in the, 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 the mind, you find that there's a part of the brain called the amygdala. It's in that part of the brain that people have the fight or flight. That's where they do all that at. When you get in there, all you, you'll do one of two things. You'll either try to survive, right? You'll, you'll, in fear, you know, you'll be afraid or you'll be angry and you'll fight back. But those are the two characteristics. Um, you can deal with this with, uh, you see this in kids that feel, that come out of very unsafe environments. A lot of times they're very much uh, doing things that just really are very detrimental to them because they're trying to survive. Everybody here has a survival mode. You know what that looks like, what you do in survival mode, how you try to survive in an environment. Some of you, it's get angry, you know, kick the wall, bust a window, do something crazy, okay? Some of you, it's your survive is to overindulge in stuff. That's how you survive. You start self-medicating, whether it's food or it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, because you're just trying to, you're just trying to get through. I'm telling you that we have got to stop trying to get through COVID-19. We got to get, we got to stop as a church. Now, I'm not talking about, look, the world's going to do what the world's going to do, but God's people have to quit trying to get through this. We are going to overcome this. We've got to overcome this. And I'm not talking about the ailment. I'm talking about what the ailment, the fear that the ailment is trying to bring. It's real. Nobody's saying it's not real. People have died, absolutely, 200,000 people. But here's the thing. What we as God's people have to do is not cower from it, but be bold in front of it. You say, well, Pastor, what if you say all that and you get COVID-19 and you die from it? I'll tell you what. On my deathbed, my last breath to you was, will be, Don't you doubt for one second that God's word isn't true, that God doesn't do what he said. We don't have all the answers, but I do know this. My God is not a man that he would lie. Amen. He didn't change his mind. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's easy. You're healthy and you're doing... I'm just telling you up front. I've already made up my mind. I'm already... And now I said it, so guess what? I'm committed to it. Because I believe it. I wouldn't have said it unless I believed it. See, what happens is is that we start wanting all the answers. We want everything to be in place, everything to be right. Well, when there's a vaccine, well, when there's this, look, those things will never end because somebody else is controlling the narrative. And it's not the media. They're just servants. Somebody else is controlling the narrative. The one that came to kill, steal, and destroy. The tricks are no different than they've always been, and it's time for us to rise above it. So my challenge to you this morning as we wrap up here is is that, look, it's time for you to think about upping your commitment. I'm not talking about finances. If that's part of it, great. But But what I'm talking about, get involved. Get involved. Our ministry has grown over 15 new families during COVID-19. Over that. Now, I don't know how many total. I I try to calculate it, and I can't can't figure it all out. But it's grown. It just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing, okay? 
hey, that's awesome, but look, we need people to help because as you grow, more sheep, more sheep poop, more stuff, you know, I mean, right? I mean, there's just more to deal with, and we need help to do that. So get involved. I'm throwing the mantle out on you. You have to make the decision what you're going to do with it. What you're going to do with it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Susan, I would like to pray for Olivia this morning. Can I do that? Could you go get her? I know she's got it, had to take care of the baby, but would you mind helping me out with that? Amen. I want you to stand. Hallelujah. Did you get anything out of this today? I feel that I agree with what Chuck was saying earlier. There's something been released, but I believe what's really, there is a boldness that's coming in on God's people. And we're going to break through barriers that have tried to restrain us and hold us back. Look, this is nothing new. Israel battled barrier after barrier after barrier. Their leadership had to battle barrier after barrier after barrier that tried to keep the Israelites. They kept thinking about going back, going back, going back. Oh, it's better back. If we just go back to the old, oh, before COVID-19, everything was better. See, that's wrong thinking. Well, when everything gets better, uh, that's wrong thinking. See, because we're letting circumstances dictate. Amen. We're not going to let circumstances dictate it. So what we're going to do is be bold. We're going to be bold about our faith. We're going to be, I believe this is released into the house of God, in God's people. Destiny will not be fulfilled. It will not be fulfilled unless you and I are willing to step out in faith. I want you to close your eyes with me. I want, you to say, I want you to be honest to you. You don't have to say anything out loud. I want you to be honest to you. What are you afraid of? Come on, if you're watching online, I want you to close your eyes right there where you're at. I want you to ask yourself, what are you afraid of? What are you anxious about? What are you anxious about today? What's controlling the narrative in your life right now? Is it God and his word? Or is it everything else? Your job, your everything, just overwhelming you. I'm not telling you that God doesn't care about what you're going through right now. Because he does. Because he cares about you. But where God, what God really cares about is where he wants to take you. And where he wants to take you is way better than where you are. Where you are. So if it's cancer that you're afraid of, if it's divorce you're afraid of, if it's abandonment and loneliness you're afraid of, if it's COVID-19 that you're afraid of, look, I'm telling you today, Come on up here, Livia. I want to pray for you. Jeff had shared with me what was going on there. I'm going to believe God with you. I, I, can you look up here with me for a minute? I'll tell you a great testimony about this. Little girl came to church with Amy Zummer. Zummer. Zoomer, excuse me. I never say it right. 
came to church with her, couldn't get pregnant, couldn't get pregnant. Chuck's going to pray. Chuck says, get Pastor and Sharon over here, pray for this girl. Uh, she, needs, she needs prayer. She wants to have a baby. Doctors are telling her, no way, you can't have babies. So we told her, we've prayed for so many people that have gotten pregnant. You know, just we, Sharon's like fertile myrtle. I mean, she'll lay hands on you. Be careful when Sharon lays hands on you. Make sure you're specific about your requests. Uh, and, uh, but uh, she said, so Chuck says, you guys should pray for her because you're anointed for this. And so we laid hands on her. I forget, do you remember her name, Chuck? Desiree. This last week, Desiree had twins. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. You didn't hear what I said. A woman who could not have children, who was told you will not have children, got doubly blessed in one deal because God is a miracle worker. Amen. 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 So without going into detail, I just want to pray. We're still dealing with the situation, right? Uh, pray for Olivia's little boy uh, that's in her womb right now. And uh, we're going to believe God uh, that uh, the one kid, is it the kidney is enlarged because there's a blockage? Is that what? Okay, I'm just trying to be specific. Anything else with that that I need to know before I pray? He could have lifelong kidney damage by what the doctors are trying to say. But. Here's the thing, but God, come on, man. Now you're getting it, all right? Now we're here. Come on up here. I want to lay hands on you. Let me have, uh, yeah, come on right up here. Let me, uh, Jeannie, come up here and you put your hand, since Sharon had to leave. And uh, how far along are you? Uh, seven months. Seven months, okay. So we're getting close. Yeah. Amen. All right. Now, Father, reach your hands out here with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lay hands, Jeannie and I lay hands on this little boy, and we command that blockage that's in front of that kidney right now to break up right now, be released, and flow out of his body. We speak a supernatural miracle, and Lord, any damage that has been done in that kidney, we speak a creative miracle right now. I see tissue recreating to be formed and fashioned in the way that you designed it, Lord God. I thank you, Father God. I speak whole to his kidneys, wholeness, wellness to the kidneys, wellness to, the, uh, to his vascular system completely, Lord God. I speak wellness to his digestive tract. I speak wellness and wholeness, Lord God, to the endocrine system of his body in the name of Jesus, to the skeletal aspect of his body, to the circulatory system of his body in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for that. And I'm just reminded, Lord God, from your word, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good. And this is a good thing and healing all who were being oppressed by the devil and Lord God, because you were with him. So we say the same Jesus that healed bodies delivered people from the things the enemy had brought against them. We lay our hands on Olivia's belly and we say this baby is made whole in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let it be. Amen. Thank you, Olivia. Hallelujah. Well, can, can God really do that? Well, let me, let me ask you something. Can God take a man whose hand, arm was withered his whole life? He couldn't stretch it out and it was all bound up and tied up. You know, just had to hold it up here like this. 
And then all of a sudden, with just the word, the man's hand and arm was made completely whole. God does creative. He does creative miracles. Hallelujah. He does creative miracles. Now, we start praying. You know, I, I find this over me that, like, sometimes I'll start praying for someone for healing, and that anointing will come on me for healing. And uh, so if you need something from God physically right now, I want you to come. I don't care what it is, recreative, creative, whatever. Something's not right. Something's not working right. Something, your back is not right. Your legs are not right. Your hips are not right.